0: Active 911 is proud to partner with the Code 3 podcast. Active 911 designs technology for first responders to help heroes save lives. Learn more at Active911.com.
1: When we compare the population that we work with who are enrolled in a wellness program versus departments who are not enrolled in a wellness program, you can tell the differences right away from the data.
0: Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighter's Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott.
2: That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. Firefighters are athletes. You may be part of the culture that already knows and accepts this truth. But if it's a foreign idea to you, or if you disagree, consider this. Even if you mostly run medical calls, physical conditioning is critical to your career. In fact, you need to be in top condition because you mostly run medical calls. And it isn't just because patients are getting larger and heavier, although that is a good reason. My guest today isn't a firefighter or a paramedic, but he has a strong interest in helping the fire service community maintain its health. And he can tell you why it's important to think like an athlete. Daniel Iguera is an assistant professor of kinesiology in the Department of Fire Technology at Santa Ana College in Santa Ana, California. He specializes in working with athletes and firefighters, both studying and teaching them how and why physical conditioning is so important. And Daniel Aguera joins me now. Welcome to Code 3.
1: Thank you for having me, Scott.
2: It's great to have you here. It's only been in the last few years that we've recognized the similarities between athletes and firefighters. Your specialty is to treat them that way. What benefits does this give firefighters?
1: In terms of the benefits, or if we take a step back on this one, in high-performance sports, where you see in, in the collegiate level, the professional level, and even now in the youth level, is that these athletes, they're being monitored from start to finish in terms of their performance. And they're using all those monitoring tools to, to train them, to make them bigger, faster, stronger. And now that I work with firefighters, the that same practice does not exist. In some departments, they're a little bit more advanced than others, but as a uh, fire service as a whole, not necessarily. Uh, so the idea is to bring very similar practices that you see in high-performance sports, again, collegiate, professional, and even in youth level, now bring it over to fire is how can we monitor their workload? How do we monitor their stress that, that they're going or that they're experiencing every time they're on duty? How do we use that all that data to make them more resilient to their job or to the stresses of their job?
2: So what have you seen thus far in your experience working with them?
1: Uh, I've been working with FIRE for about five years now, and the first couple years. It was more of just taking a step back and learning the culture, learning what it is to be a firefighter, and all the stressors that are associated with that, the challenges and adversities.
2: Well, let's stop there. So what are some of those challenges and adversities that come with the culture?
1: The challenges and adversities that you see in the firefighters, and this is me speaking from a health and wellness perspective, because I myself, I'm not a firefighter. I've never worn the uniform. So, again, speaking from an outsider, is there's the sleep deprivation is a huge issue. Cardiovascular disease, injuries, and the mental health are kind of the big four prongs of the health and wellness field that we're trying to address in the fire population. So we're looking through all these different monitoring tools to see how we can better understand cardiovascular risk, sleep deprivation, mental health, and injuries. And once we understand it, then we can actually start doing some interventions to help mitigate and lower those
2: those cases. You're currently working with about 40 fire departments around Southern California. What does that work consist of? Is it all monitoring at this point?
1: No, so to give you a very high-scale idea of what our wellness program is for these nearly 40, 40 fire departments throughout Southern California, is we there's essentially four touches is the first time we come around is we, we enroll them into a college course at Santa Ana College. And through that college course, they can receive health and wellness services. And those services are, are yearly fitness testing, physical and physiological fitness testing, where we look at their flexibility, their muscular strength, muscular endurance, their cardiovascular health. We look at their blood work, their cholesterol, their glucose panels. Uh, we're looking at their at their EKGs, both at, at rest and at different levels of stress. We do a 12-lead stress test, and we do this on a yearly basis. So we once we go to the department, so we conduct this, this battery of tests, we input all the results into this athlete management system that we have, and we give them a profile on how they did. So we compare how they did compared to what the criterion reference value is so we look at their cholesterol is at healthy levels or too high or too low. Same thing when it comes to flexibility. How's your flexibility compared to the norm? How's your strength? How's your heart health? And based on how they are in terms of all these wellness metrics, then we begin suggesting intervention.
2: In an overall sense, how are they?
1: So this is the extremely interesting part. In 2011, a research article was was published by Poston and his colleagues, where they looked at about eight different departments throughout the Midwest. And this is in 2011. And around 77 to 79% of the firefighters of those eight departments were considered overweight or obese. But now compare that to the firefighters that we work with, again, these nearly 40 departments who have been in this wellness program for multiple years at a time, less than, 15 less than probably 15-20% are overweight and or obese, based on what a metric called body mass index or BMI for short. But when we look at a more sensitive metric, our body fat percentage is actually looking how much body fat they have. We estimate it to something called the BIA or bioelectrical impedance analysis. And these guys are healthy. Their body fat percentages are at healthy levels. Their blood work is at healthy levels. Their Their heart health is looking awesome. Sure, it begins to decline as they age, but when we compare the population that we work with who are enrolled in a wellness program versus departments who are not enrolled in a wellness program, you can tell the differences right away from a data standpoint.
2: So it sounds as though this is just a matter of getting the guys interested in the program and once they're interested, they make progress rapidly.
1: Put simply, yes there's obviously layers of complexity when it comes to it the first one is just getting the guys excited about participating in the wellness program and then two is how do we begin how do we begin uh, these behavior modifications is for the guy who doesn't like to PT for whatever reason whether he just doesn't enjoy it or he has some injuries that preclude him from from training uh, or or from exercising is how do we convince them. how do we persuade him to just do something, something little, something small, but nonetheless has moved towards that direction? So one side is knowing the ins and outs of exercise science, and the second one is knowing behavior modification. Now you're actually working with an individual who has an on-duty life and an off-duty life, is how do we balance PT health wellness within all the other stressors that they currently already have? And that's where the
2: more of the that's where the the challenge really comes I'll be back with more right after this.
0: Looking to decrease your response times? With Active Alert, get calls straight to your phone from Dispatch via the app. Available for Android, iPhones, and tablets. Plus, get directions to the scene, have all CAD notes in one place, see who's responding, and quickly identify nearby map markers like hydrants and preplans. With a low per-device price, Active Alert is a must-have tool for first responders. See for yourself why it's trusted by thousands of firefighters nationwide. Start your free trial today at Active911.com.
2: In an overall sense, would you say the fire service... Culture is more likely to be interested in what you're doing or less likely?
1: Great question. Uh, so this past year when I've been going to the different fire departments and I've been asking the questions, uh, how has nutrition changed in the fire station or in the firehouse from when they first got brought on? I'm asking some more senior firemen here. These are guys who've been on for 7, 15, 20, 25 years. And they tell me how nutrition has changed throughout the years. I ask the same question when it comes to uh, PT, physical training, and they share with me how PT has trained or has changed throughout the years. And then I follow up with, why do you think nutrition has changed in that direction? Why do you think PT has changed? And their answers are, are awesome. One, they say is they're more health conscious, so they're more aware of the the, the physical demands of their job and then how they have to build resilience from it. And then two, they credit our, our wellness program. They say that we bring great education to their stations teach them about nutrition, supplements, caffeine, protein, carbs, and fats. We teach them about PT about uh, different types of circuit training, different philosophies of exercise, strength training versus hypertrophy, versus muscular endurance, versus uh, cardiovascular conditioning, and all the, the intricacies when it comes to this stuff. So on, once we add the educational layer to it, now they're, the guys are hyped. They're they're ready to go. They want to participate, and then that's where we step into the behavior modification. Is great. The motivation is there. How do we actually get you to follow through on a day to day
2: basis? That's impressive. One of your lecture topics deals with building resilience, as you mentioned, to make injury less likely. Tell me about that.
1: So some interesting data on this one. The NFPA every year they publish an injury report for firefighters and this is on a national level and to coincide with that they're also publishing a uh, call volume again trends on a national level and what we're noticing is that fire calls they are staying the same if not they're dropping uh, they're dropping a little bit so there's a minor decrease in and this could be attributed to advances in fire suppression systems advances in, in tactics etc but nonetheless is about 4% of the total call volume per year is fire calls. Now, 4% of the total call volume is fire. But now when we zoom in a little bit more into injuries, now fire calls are responsible for about 30 to 35% of injuries for firefighters. So the, the, the smallest category that they respond to, fire, is responsible for the, the majority of the injuries. So then we look at it from that perspective is, what is the etiology behind these injuries on the fire ground? What's the cause of it? The NFPA does also, they explain this as well, and they attribute it to overexertion and strain. So then our job is to to investigate a little bit more into why are the fire guys getting overexerted? And the question is more of a tongue-in-cheek because it's kind of rhetorical that they're on a working fire. They're... They have heavy turnouts on about 50 to 75 pounds worth of gear. They're on air. They have tools and equipment with them. They have the adrenaline going. So all this is a very mercurial environment that things can go wrong at the snap of the finger. So then our job is, how do we build resilience to this? We know that they're going to be in compromised positions. We know that they're going to be redlining and pushing their cardiovascular system t- to limits. How do we build resilience to this? And it reminds me of one of the lessons that I learned early on in my career when I was interning at a, at a collegiate strength conditioning program, where a mentor at the time, he was speaking about a linebacker, a football linebacker, and he asked all their interns, he says, how strong should this linebacker be? And all the interns were shouting out some different weights for the back squat, who were saying that he should be able to squat 300 or 500 pounds. But our mentor, he said, he this linebacker has to be strong enough to be resilient to the stresses of their job. This linebacker should be able to deliver and absorb hits. We have to train him to be strong enough to do that. So we take that exact same philosophy over to fire now, is how strong should a firefighter be? And when it comes to actually uh, uh, assigning a weight value to that, I don't have one. But it's it's never been a drawback to be a little bit stronger than you are right now. So we train these guys to have a stronger lower body, a stronger upper body. We train them to have a strong and resilient core. So when they are bent over in compromised positions, when they are pushing their cardiovascular system to, to the red line is they are have already been prepped for this. Through the multiple PT sessions
2: that we work. Is it a tough sell given that there aren't that many fires to get these guys to train themselves to be that resilient knowing that they may not need it for months?
1: Great question. This is something that I was just talking to with the department two days ago is although the intensity of the job is beginning to diminish because of lower fire calls, is does the fire firefighters still need to be as strong and as resilient as years ago when fires were more prevalent. And the answer remains yes, because although fire is the most intense part of their job is they're still bending over and picking up patients and equipment. And some of these patients are on the heavier side and the, the crew has to come in together in groups of two, three, or four to try to, to serve the, the patient, to serve the, the call. And so that's where the resilient the resilience comes in. It's not just resilience to the fire calls. It's resilience to all the other things that they have to do on duty, which is tools, equipment, run detail inspections, their training that they have to do, tactical training and physical training. So it's not just the fire calls out the stressors. It's everything else. There are smaller stressors in nature, but stressors, nonetheless.
2: Now, on a little bit of a lighter note, firefighters love their coffee, so I'm sure they'll be glad to hear that you do presentations on using caffeine to your advantage. In a nutshell, what do we need to know about that?
1: We've coined this the caffeine lecture. We've we lectured it at, or we brought this, this, this topic to multiple stations already, and this lecture is not encouraging the use of caffeine, but nor is it discouraging. It's simply to educate all the pros and all the cons along with it. So on the pros, all the benefits is things that you and I and every firefighter already knows. It gives them a little bit of edge. It helps improve their cognitive function. It helps improve muscular endurance. It decreases a perception of pain. So these things, we can already picture how they would benefit the firefighter especially when they have two, three, four calls after midnight, and they've had fragmented sleep. Now, from a negative perspective is how do we use caffeine appropriately, but with minimal drawbacks? Well, then caffeine has a half-life around, it's probably 10 to 12 hours, if I recall correct. Meaning every 10 to 12 hours, whatever dosage of, of caffeine that we originally took, half of that is still active in our body. And it's still having some of the same physiological and cognitive effects on us. So now given if we take this caffeine, uh, we take coffee at after lunch or after 2, 3, 4 p.m. uh, We take that pre-workout or we take the energy drink or whatever caffeine beverages of of our choice. But now that caffeine is active in our body at the later stages of the day, at 9 p.m., at 11 p.m., at 12 p.m., So now we're the firefighters wrestling against two different stressors. One is the tones that have to go off, the arousal that they get from the tones, once they service the call and they come back, and now they're going to try to fall asleep again. But on top of that, they're also battling and wrestling with the effects of caffeine. So although we cannot change the tones, the tones will continue. We can remove some of the other obstacles of sleep onset, which is caffeine intake. This is about a 45, 60-minute lecture that we bring to the guys.
2: It sounds like you're accepting the fact that they're going to use caffeine and you're just trying to make sure that they use it appropriately.
1: Absolutely. There's the the fire service is built on tradition and culture. And as an outsider, I have observed and I've witnessed this. And a lot of these traditions are cultures. It's what makes the fire service such a beautiful population to work with is the brotherhood that you see in this. So, for an outsider to come in or an outsider to come in into the fire station and say and shake their finger at them saying, don't use caffeine because it's bad for you, you're going to lose the trust. You're going to lose the buy in right away. So, it's learn the culture, learn the tradition, and then try to educate knowing the culture and tradition.
2: Yeah. All right. We'll leave it there. Daniel Yera, thank you for what you're doing to help firefighters, and thanks for talking with me today.
1: Thank you for having me on, Scott.
2: And there is more about physical conditioning for the fire service at our website, code3podcast.com slash conditioning. There's also contact info for Daniel on our site. Again, it's code3podcast.com slash conditioning. So take a look. And don't forget, you can still find Code 3 merch. For that, just go to Code3Podcast.com slash store. Support this show and wear our logo. Who knows, maybe someone will ask about the podcast and you can tell them about it. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr and until then... Stay safe.
0: To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.